Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Today is an especially special Mother's Day for me because I actually didn't know if I was going to make it. Just yesterday at about 6.30 p.m., I had a near-death experience and I was had all my Mother's Days flashing through my mind. The gifts I was planning to re- carefully receive because I'd sent several links to my kids and husband. I didn't know if I was going to get them because I was on a flight with Pastor Corey and Kai when we hit the worst turbulence, scientifically proven, the worst turbulence in the history of air travel. Is that not correct? And I got the privilege of going to a conference with Pastor Corey and Kai. And you should be so proud of your pastor because he ministered with fire and with passion, changing people's lives. They hang on his every word. It's a big responsibility, but what a blessing he is to the body of Christ. And so we were in this plane, Joel, I think you should play some scary music because we're in this plane and all of a sudden... We dropped and then we went right and then we went left and my watch started beeping at me that I was having a heart attack. And so I had to watch my heartbeat and I was like tapping it, tapping it crazily, praying in the spirit. Pastor Corey put down his iPad and what he was watching and he was... (sighs) Kai was turning around saying, I love you, bro. I love you, bro. And I'm like, hello, right here. I got nothing. You know what's really important when you nearly die, but I'm here for another Mother's Day. So praise the Lord. There is absolutely no exaggeration in that story at all because I'm not about it. All right, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going in deep today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, I prayed and asked the Lord what He wanted me to bring for Mother's Day. And this is the message that He gave me. And so I'm trusting, I know, that this is going to set some people free in this room tonight. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Most of you know that I grew up in a very small Baptist church. My father was saved on the night of my birth. And it wasn't that he saw me and then went, there must be a God. My goodness, look at this child. It was that um, my mother's life was saved. I was saved. It wasn't looking good. And so he gave his heart to the Lord. And we moved to Brisbane for my dad to go to theological college. So he'd been saved about eight years when he was made the youth pastor of a church. And this Friday night, we go off in our L300 van. Did anyone else have one of those or is nobody else old enough? Well, okay, good. Excellent start. So we went off in this olden days van and I was sitting in the back and we were picking up a new girl for youth. And so uh, we arrive out the front of her house. My dad beeps the horn and we're sitting there waiting for this young lady called Teresa to come and get in the car. My little eight or nine-year-old self is peering out the back window when my dad and I both gasp because five tall men dressed all in black came walking through 
the garage door towards us. I'm like, interesting. I know I'm only eight or nine, but I don't think people can walk through doors. So my dad gets out of the car because he sees that they're walking towards me. And so he prays and he says something deeply theologically profound, help Lord. And he walks around the van and as he approaches these men, they then continue to walk and he walks through them. It's at this point that he realizes what was going on and he began to pray seriously, got back in the car shaking. Teresa came down the stairs and hopped into our van. This was the beginning of my family's journey of learning about spiritual warfare. And for the next six to 12 months, we journeyed with this young lady as she gave a heart to Jesus and came out deeply embedded in the church of Satan and came out of that life. But it was pretty full on for a while. We would answer the phone in the kitchen. I would answer the phone. We only had landlines in those days. And I would pick up the phone and there would just be a snake hissing at me on the other end of the phone line. And so at only eight or nine years of age, my parents had to teach me spiritual warfare. And I still remember the line they taught me to say when I would hear that on the phone. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and in his authority, greater is he that is in me than he that is in you and hang up. What was the Lord doing? What were my parents doing? They were teaching me how to war in the spiritual realm. Now they had a choice. They could have sheltered us from what was going on But instead, they chose to live in the reality that we are all in a spiritual warfare. And you know what the Lord was allowing? He was raising up a spiritual warrior who knows her authority in Christ. And I want to ask you the question that I feel I'm on assignment to ask you today. Do you know that you are armed and dangerous? C.S. Lewis says there is no neutral ground in the universe. Tozer says a spirit-filled church will invite the anger of the enemy. Our church is called Numa Church. We're spirit-filled believers. We need not be surprised when we face some pushback and some opposition. So if there is no neutral ground in the universe, this means that ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is defeat. We don't get to be like, I'm a conscientious objector, I'm just Switzerland. No, that will equal defeat in the spiritual realm and there is too much at stake. Verse 3 says, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 1 Peter 5, 4, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like, only like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So happy Mother's Day, everybody. That's light and fluffy, isn't it? (laughs) We are in a war a spiritual war, and we're not fighting one another. We're not fighting people who believe differently than us. We're not fighting the church down the road. We're not fighting our children's friends who abide to a different set of beliefs than them. We're not fighting people. This is spiritual warfare. And as long as the enemy keeps us thinking we're fighting one another, we will be defeated. 
In the context of our passage, this is Paul's fourth letter to the church in Corinth, and his motivation was actually reconciliation. You see, he had had opponents in the church in Corinth. He'd gone to try and fix things, and the arguing between them had gotten so full on that he quietly left, went back to Ephesus, and wrote them this fourth letter. So their accusation was kind of like that friend every single one of us has got. Don't look around right now in case they're in the room when I tell you who they are. They're that person that you can sense there's like a bit of tension between you and you say to them, hey, are we all good? Is everything okay? And they're like, yeah, everything's great. Everything's unicorns and rainbows. And then at midnight that night, the text bomb comes. Actually, now that I think about it, we're not okay. And then all these fiery emojis and you think, I knew it. Well, that's what they were accusing Paul of, that he was timid face to face But when he went away, he was like this keyboard warrior, but with like a quill and sending them all these fiery letters. And they had begun to believe incorrectly that he couldn't be a true apostle because a true apostle wouldn't look gentle and kind. A true apostle had an X factor when they preached. A true apostle knew how to move and shake things and was powerful. But Paul was correcting their theology and saying, nah, uh, uh. In my weakness, Christ is made strong. It's actually because of my ability to endure beatings and hardship and being hit with rods and stones thrown at me and misunderstood, I have endured in that. That's all the proof you need that I have the Holy Spirit's power inside of me. And his bottom line was, we're not fighting one another. I'm not even fighting those people who are saying these things about me. We are fighting against uh, spiritual warfare. And he's saying we really need to guard our thoughts. Because most often in the life of believers, spiritual warfare is won and lost in the mind. My son River is 14 years old. And this year he is part of something very exciting. He's in the Air Force Cadets. And it was a very exciting day for him when he got his uniforms. And there's two different uniforms that are going to come up here. Now, I have to, I need you to sign an NDA right now because I'm not allowed to show you these pictures. So, shh. But here he is in his uniform. One's his surface service uniform. One's his uh, general purpose uniform. And what's really exciting for the kids in these uniforms is that they have these things called rank slides that show us their rank according to the Australian government and defence force. They have special protection in their knees. He's given combat boots. He wears a hat that protects him. And his uniform identifies him as part of something bigger than himself. According to the Australian Defence Force, my 14-year-old has a rank, a role, a place, a position and protective equipment that has been delegated to him by the Australian government. Now, a moment of indulgence as a mum, both natural and spiritual, (laughs) and for all the other mums in the room, the best thing about him getting this uniform is it came with a class on how to iron it and how to wash it. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Now, did you know that we in this spiritual war have also been given given the essentials of warfare. We've been given protection, identity, authority, 
rank by the government of heaven. I want to talk for a moment about our protection and identity. Is everyone okay? Ephesians 6, I quoted part of it before, but we're going to look at verse 11 and then 13. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. We have a uniform. We have protection that identifies us as part of something so much bigger than ourselves. We're part of a body, a global body. We're part of an army and we have protection. You know, I've heard many people pray this armour on. Lord, I pick up the helmet of salvation and I put it on. Lord, I buckle on the, the belt of truth. And it, it's not wrong to pray those things, but it's not actually what the passage is teaching. What it's actually teaching us is that as we walk in the character of God himself, this is the protection that is offered to us. Let's take the belt of truth. What does Jesus say about himself? I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. What does John 8, 32 say? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we know Jesus, we're in relationship with Jesus. We know the truth of his word. And then Ephesians 4, we grow up and we speak with one another the truth in love. So when we're in relationship with the truth, when we read and meditate on the truth and when we tell one another the loving truth like I'm doing right now, then the belt of truth is ours. In other words, I can't walk in half truths. Like that text message, no, we're good, we're good, and then boom, at midnight. That's a half truth. I can't walk that way with my brothers and sisters. I can't walk that way when I feel in the fire, when I'm hearing somebody else's truth because I don't trust I can speak the truth in love. I'm gonna trust the Christ in me and leave the result to Him. And when I walk in full truth, guess what's offered to me? Protection from the government of heaven. The breastplate of righteousness that protects our heart the wellspring of our heart. Righteousness means right living. When I choose to walk in holiness, when I choose to keep short accounts and repent when I get things wrong, then God offers protection to my heart. I don't get to do whatever I want all weekend and then go, God, would you put the breastplate of righteousness on me? No, I walk in a way that reflects God's character himself and then I have the uniform, the protection of heaven. Your authority. Oh, this is where it gets really good. Do you know as his children, Romans 8.16 tells us that we're, we're his children, adopted into his family 
as citizens of the kingdom, you have a rank slide. You have a rank in spiritual warfare. In Ephesians 1, 19 to 23, it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Read this bit with me. Far above all rule and authority, can't hear you, and power and dominion above every name that is named, all right, I'll take it from here, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Leave that there for a second. Go back from me, thank you. What has Christ been raised above? All rule and authority, all power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one that is to come. And it gets even better. Because in the next chapter, do you know what we read? Verses four to six, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Here comes the epic bomb of the night. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That means above all rule and authority above every power and dominion with all things under the believer's feet. One of my favourite times of the year is the Australian Open. How good is it, right? And uh, this year, I noticed that Australia got all bougie. We went all high tech because our umpires, oh no, we're not going to make them climb a ladder and get up to officiate the game. Oh, no, no, no. Some brilliant Australian inventor designed an umpiring chair that's going to come up on the screen. Where, look at this. I mean, how amazing is that? All he has to do is sit in it and up he goes and then he can rule from there. Do you know that is a reminder of your position in Christ? You don't have to climb a ladder through your works. You don't have to work your way up the rungs to get spiritual authority. Christ has done everything that was necessary that you can sit in that bougie little umpire's chair and get lifted right up through Jesus Christ. And from that place, you look the devil square in the eye and you say, no, that's not coming in. That's a fault. That's out in Jesus' name. We are called to rule in our umpire's chair through the work of Jesus Christ. There are people here tonight, you've been working your little tushy off, trying to climb up that ladder so you can rule and reign in life when Christ has done everything that is necessary so you can sit back, enjoy the ride, get raised up with Christ, and you can call things as they are. I want to ask you, how do you see yourself? In spiritual warfare, be honest. How do you see yourself? Because I've got an image here that I reckon is how most Christians see themselves. Like that. I just want to apologize for whatever that weird doll is tucked away there in the middle. That is, that is not okay. But ignore that for a minute. Look at all the teddies. I feel like this is how Christians feel about themselves. I'm so cuddly. Oh, I'm just going to give them a big hug. And we should be kind and we should be loving. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But more accurately, biblically, we look a bit more like this image that's coming up here. Look a bit more like that. 
You don't have to look like that if you're a male. You can find a male version. But that's how I see myself. I'm not living by what I see in the mirror. I'm living by what I see in the mirror. And that's who I see. Not through my works, not by any, by any ladder of position I've climbed. I'm a warrior in the spirit because Christ made me that way. And he made you that way. It's not dependent on if you've got my personality. It's not dependent on whether you ever stand up here on a stage. It's dependent on who your Savior is and what he's done to position you up in that bougie chair where you call in, out, fault. I'm not letting that into my heart. Out you go in Jesus' name. Do you know that the world is enemy-occupied territory? Have you noticed? Not everyone loves us. And we have to know who we're fighting against. We're not fighting each other. I mean, the enemy must just sit back with his little cocktail and be like, how good's this? I don't have to do anything. Christians are busy fighting one another. Pass the popcorn. Can we not do his dirty work for him? Verse 3 of our passage, we're not waging war according to the flesh. I mean, here's Paul. What these people were saying about him, you're not a genuine apostle, Paul. You don't speak well enough. Pretty harsh. Ran him out of town. He'd been beaten, thrown in prison, literally stoned, beaten with rods. If anyone could get a bit bitter about what people had done to him, it's Paul. But he says, no, I'm not fighting you. You're not the motivating force behind this. I know the source. This is evil. This is the devil. This is the adversary. What are demons? <gasps> what are demons? Have you noticed the church? We get freaked out. She said evil. She said devil. She said Satan. She said demon. Do you know what? The church often has a problem saying what the Bible has no problem saying. Read the epistles. It's all throughout it. And as long as we can be like, oh, devil. We're useless in warfare. Demons are evil angels who sinned and they now work evil, trying to destroy every work of God, including you and me. Satan in Hebrew means adversary. He was the originator of sin. He's also known as the devil, the serpent, Beelzebul, ruler of this world, prince of the power of the air, evil one. Demons and Satan love the dark. Jesus is light. And we as his disciples, we're told, are salt and light. So we've got this clash of kingdoms, this clash of dark and light. But have you ever switched a light on and seen who wins? The light wins every time. Jesus wins every time. You as his disciples, a carrier of salt and light, you walk into a room, guess what gets evicted in Jesus' name? The darkness. Satan has a strategy and Satan has an assignment. His strategy is accusing you for long enough till you agree in your mind. He has no power over you until you agree with his accusations. It's what he did in Genesis 3, fronts up to Eve as a feral little snake. Just telling you right now, if I was Eve, we'd be still living in Eden because the moment a snake came near me, I would have been doing a nudie run out of that garden so quick. 
I mean, why was a woman talking to a snake? That's what you get. But she didn't. She listened as he questioned, did God really say? That had no power over her till she internally went, actually, I don't think God did really say. Jesus, Matthew 4, Matthew 3 is baptized, comes up out of the water. His father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Some people mistook it for thunder. Some recognised it for what it was. Very next chapter again, Jesus is there fasting, praying. Some say he would have been weak. I would say he'd been fasting, praying. He was at his strongest. Enemy right up in his grill. Did God really say? And Jesus says, yes, he did. Actually, Satan, it is written three times. It is written. It is written. Satan is assaulting our minds night and day. Revelation 12.10 says he's accusing the brethren night and day. This is his strategy. What's his assignment? John 10.10, steal, kill, and destroy. Both the strategy and the assignment are fought, won, and lost in the mind the majority of the time. He has no power over you, believer, until you step into agreement. If you're a visual person, the moment you step into agreement with his accusation, that chair comes down and you get out of your position in Christ. You're no longer ruling and reigning. You're down in the mess and the mire of life. You know, I was reading a study the other day from 2005 from the National Science Foundation. And do you know what it showed about our thought lives? You and I, in a 24-hour period, have between 12 and 60,000 thoughts per day. So if you're on the conservative side and you have 12,000 a day, congratulations. I'm an overachiever and I would say I've got 60,000 thoughts a day. There's many trains leaving the station at all times. Do you know what else the research showed? Of those 12 to 60,000 thoughts, 80% of them are negative. 95% of them are exactly the same repetitive thoughts as the day before. Now, I've got a graph here, right? Can you go back for one second, please, team? I'm making you work for it. If you have 12,000 thoughts a day, 9,600 of those are negative. If you have 60,000 thoughts a day, like little old me, 48,000 of those are negative. Now tell me this, who is the source of negativity? That is scientific evidence of what Revelation tells us. The accuser is accusing the brethren 48,000 times a day. No wonder we feel a little bit tired sometimes if we don't have a renewed mind. We need to understand that God will never accuse you. He will only affirm you. Satan will never affirm you. He will often accuse you. It's interesting that in life, we cannot operate outside of what we believe. So when we agree with those accusations and we have these repetitive thoughts, negative thoughts, day after day after day, we begin to live out of that embedded belief in our mind. Let's talk for a moment 
about how malleable our brains are. Stay with me, it's well above my pay grade, but I've been doing some good reading. Our brains are constantly reshaping themselves to adapt to our conditions. The best description I found when I was researching this is likening our thoughts to a hiking trail. So if you can imagine, Tom's affirming me, our psychologist in the room. Only five weeks to go, Tommy, you can do it. Um, it's like if I decide I'm going to go on a hike, not likely, but stay with me. I decide I'm going to go on a hike, so I get a machete, also not likely, actually more likely than going on a hike, but that's fine. I get a machete and I head off into some feral bush and I'm going to blaze a new trail. This is the first time I'm having a thought. What that looks like, so maybe the first time I read a truth from the Word of God, the very first time I read it, that thought in my brain, if it's new to me, is like me blazing a new trail and with my machete getting rid of everything in my way. It's, it takes a long time. It's a bit laborious. But the more times I have that thought, the more embedded my pathway becomes until eventually as I meditate and confess and memorize scripture, I've got like a concrete pathway with a little lookout and a seat and a nice latte in my hand. That's how embedded that thought becomes in my mind. So we need to form highways of agreement, not with the enemy, but with our king. You know, I think the most terrifying thing for me as a mother with River and the Air Force cadets was that little form I had to sign that said he could um, drive or fly any vehicle and he could use any weapon. And I just had to sign that and be like, sure. Mummy got a whole new prayer life, people. And in just a few weeks, he's going off on weapons training. I don't want to know too much about it. Sometimes I kind of like not to ask too many questions. But as I thought about it, here's what I realised. If we actually did go to war as a nation and the river was placed into the war, I'm going to want him to know how to use those weapons. It's the same for you and I. We are armed and dangerous, but do you know how to use your weapons? How often do you pick up the weapons that have been made available to you? Verse four of our passage, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. Divine means from God. Power means dunamis, blow it up. You have blowing it up power from God himself to face the spiritual warfare you are in. I want to quickly go through some of what our God-given explosive, explosive, explosive weapons are. Firstly, the Word of God, most important. Ephesians 6.17 talks about picking up the sword of the Spirit. Again, what Jesus did. It is written, it is written, it is written. It puts us on the offensive. Jesus used no other weapon than the rhema, the spoken Word of God, to defeat the enemy. If you just start here, chances are you may need no other weapon to defeat the enemy than the spoken out loud word of God. Jesus in the desert was literally resisting the devil and he fled from him. That's James 4, 7. Your daily devotions are you sharpening your sword on steel. Your memorizing scripture is you lifting weights at the gym. You declaring scripture is you walking victoriously in warfare. Yeah. Hebrews 4.12, 
The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, it's not just an offensive weapon, it's a scalpel to our hearts, making us more like Christ so that that Ephesians 6 armour is on us from head to toe. That actually hurt. Your prophetic words are also a weapon of warfare. 1 Timothy 1.18, wage the good warfare using the prophecies previously made about you. Have you typed them out? Do you get them out? Do you declare them out loud? Do you use them in your prayer life? A renewed mind is a weapon for warfare. Listen to this quote, Bill Johnson. The mind is either at war with God or it is being renewed. There is no middle ground. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When you're up in your umpire's chair, the way you know what to call in and call out is through a renewed mind. We don't know what's good and acceptable because the heart is deceitful above all things at times. So we need to know the Word of God. I liken this to how bank tellers, in order to recognise counterfeit notes, they don't study the counterfeit, they study the real thing. Hours studying the real thing. So that then when a counterfeit note comes across, a counterfeit thought, 48,000 negative thoughts, you're like, nah, that's not my God. That's not what He says about me. Another weapon you've got is the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I was in India with my son a couple of years ago and we arrived at a village. There was a lot of spiritual turmoil going on and Joan Roos, one of our incredible partners, leant over and said to me as we arrived, hey, last time we were here, we got chased out by guns, but you'll be fine. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's excellent. Good to know. And so we arrived in this village to open a literacy centre Women sitting on one side on grass mats, men on the other. My son, myself and Joan on the mat of honour. When all of a sudden I hear this noise coming out of the coffee plantations, yelling. Spiritual atmosphere was pregnant and oh, it was epic. And it, you could just feel the tension like a balloon that wanted to burst. And out of the bushes comes this man in what I'd love to describe as a linen ephod, but it wasn't, it was just a cloth nappy. And um, it wasn't tight, it was quite loose, and so I had to renew my mind quite quickly. <laughs> and um, he was screaming and he was yelling, and I don't know that language, but it clearly wasn't good because then the men started to yell at the women, and then the women started to yell back at the men, and it was like, oh my goodness, we are actually going to get shot. They are going to pull their guns out, and they are going to kill me. See, told you I'm not dramatic at all. <laughs> And so Joan leans over to me and I'm thinking she's going to say, quick, get to the troopy as quick as you can. But she says, Stacy, stand up and sing. Of course, what else would you do? So while they're screaming, I stand up. First thing that comes to my mind, you were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Hidden glory in creation. Guys, I didn't even have Joel Field with me. I mean, this was real warfare. Sister was out on the front line on her own. You have no rival. You have no equal. 
now and forever, God, you reign. Nappied man at my feet weeping. Silence. And Joan says, Stacy, the name of Jesus is illegal in this state. You could go to jail for that. Good to know again, Joan. Always coming in late with the news. So reliable. So good with the prep, Joan. Thank you. But as we left that place, you know what occurred to me? Maybe that was the very first time that man heard the beautiful, the wonderful, the powerful name of Jesus. And everything that was chaotic came to order. Everything that was swirling came to peace. Maybe he'd never hear that magnificent, beautiful name of Jesus again. But in that moment, every power and principality was put in its place. As Jesus was exalted, the name of Jesus is a weapon. And worship and prayer are the jab cross, the one-two of warfare. What did I do? I worshipped and I declared that you have no rival, you have no equal, and everything crumbled at the knees. That's what the word, that's what worship, that's what prayer, that's what the jab cross will do for you. When we pray, we're learning to rule and reign with Christ. John Piper says, until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Here's the good news. We have direct access to the one who disarmed the accuser permanently. Jesus encountered demons regularly. Nothing flew everywhere, no one hit a wall. He just quietly took authority over demons and they left. There are people in church life right now, you are afraid of deliverance and it will keep you bound. In my experience, the Prince of Peace, when he comes to set you free, it is beautiful. It's not scary. It's the most beautiful thing you'll ever see. Believer, don't stay bound. Don't stay bound out of fear. Because Jesus has done everything that is necessary. In fact, 1 John 3, 8 says of Jesus that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 2, 15, he, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame. He triumphed over them. And you and I are connected in loving relationship with that King who rules and reigns, who dealt with our enemies once and for all. So my question for you today, do you know that you are armed and dangerous? You have authority in Christ. You have a position in Jesus Christ. You have the ability through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to rise above every accusation and to speak with authority, that thought is having no place in my life. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. 
Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that he gave us his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.